Welcome to London Lopate at Large. I'm London Lopate. As the Biden administration begins the difficult task of bringing the country out of the health and economic crises of the last year, people have been looking at the difference between its use of language compared to the previous one. So we have invited our favorite language experts, the brother and sister team of Catherine and Ross Petrus, back to our show. Their most recent book is Awkward, spelled A W K. W-O-R-D, Awkward Moments, A Lively Guide to the 100 Terms Smart People Should Know. And, and like their other books on language, that doesn't mean what you think it means and you're saying it wrong. It's published by 10 Speed Press. They also have a podcast called You're Saying It Wrong. If you have a question on word usage or pronunciation for Kathy uh, and Ross, you can call us at 212 209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Or you can email your questions for them to me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. Hi. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Hi, Ross. Hi, Leonard. How you doing? Hi, I'm okay. Hi Leonard. How are you? <laughs> okay. Glad to have you back. Glad uh, to be look- back. In looking at your book, Awkward Moments, I see a few terms that seem especially relevant right now, like the German word Weltschmerz. Uh, <laughs> kind of... Indeed. I think we're all suffering from a great deal of Weltschmerz at this point. World weariness, because uh, the Germans couldn't have known about what was going to happen uh, over the last year. <laughs> they anticipated well, right? <laughs> Well, a lot of people have developed weariness for lockdown, quarantine, social distancing, and other trappings of COVID-19. Are there even more specific terms of for this particular kind of emotion, like quarantine fatigue or cabin fever? Well, we, we mentioned a number of both German and French words, ennui, which is sort of a, a, a weariness uh, I think we all have as well. Um, there's an interesting word that comes from monks in the... Uh, early uh, Christian period called, uh, and, and actually Greco-Roman period called Axidi or Axidia, which is sort of a noonday demon of like utter boredom at 12 o'clock. Well, I'm getting passionate about, about being <laughs> down. <laughs> I've seen a German word, Corona Muda. Does that mean COVID fatigue in German? Um, yes, I think it does actually. I believe it does. There was a whole lot um uh, there was there's a group called the I can't pronounce it the Leibniz Institute for the German Language, mm-hmm. and they found that in Germany over 1,200 coronavirus related words were added to the language. I mean, wow. my personal favorite, and I'm going to really screw up the pronunciation, is Spuckschutzschirm, a spit protection umbrella. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so the people are using umbrellas to, to protect themselves against. Well, I'm sure it also helps with social distancing. You could just sort of <laughs> make it into a shield. <laughs> One German uh, word that some people thought was um, recent, but it actually goes back to World War II, is Hamsterkauf, which is hamster. It's a German word, and it, it refers to people just hoarding stuff like a hamster. I think we had more mm-hmm. hamster calfin in the early phases of COVID than now. I don't find myself hoarding anything. Toilet paper is in ready supply <laughs> everywhere. There have been a, a lot of articles on the very different speaking styles of President Biden and uh, former President Trump. Uh, Biden's personal style is quieter, more unassuming 
Does that also translate into his word usage? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, one thing that just came right off the bat was uh, we're gone with uh, illegal alien. That is no mm. longer in uh, official immigra- immigration parlance, apparently. They're trying to in be fact, more inclusive. Yeah, three years ago. Are now gonna be, pardon me? Uh, I have uh, a news report that said that three years ago, then Attorney General Jeff Sessions ordered officials in his department to use the term illegal alien in all communications when describing someone who didn't come to the United States through legal means. And in a memo, Justice Department officials wrote that the word undocumented is not based in U.S. code and should not be used to describe someone's illegal presence in this country. Of course, then the Biden team has reversed that policy and they prefer to non-citizen and undocumented immigrant. And undocumented non-citizens. It's getting a little tongue twisted Uh, on that one. But yeah, well, I think that's actually a good sign. I think it's interesting. It's fascinating, though, watching the evolution, because now I had read somewhere, I think it was in the Times, that said um, they're allowed to now say science-based evidence again. And apparently that was completely verboten um, under under the in the Trump uh, years. So you are seeing a distinct change and it's overt, which I find fascinating. It's normally you just these things just sort of happen. But these are being like overtly and openly and 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 in in a codified way, which is which is pretty unusual and obviously necessary. I thought it was really interesting with with immigrants. Now, they, they can't, they're not saying assimilate, which we had. We I remember as a kid always hearing the assimilation sort of thing of like America, the melting pot, assimilate. They're now saying the integration of immigrants into society, which is a different. It's interesting. Even that's a subtle change, but that's a big change. That's very interesting. I hadn't heard that. I, I like that, though, because there's a distinct, there's a real difference between the two. And, and you wouldn't think of assimilation as a loaded term, but there's a very, it, there's a distinct difference. Yeah. The years of the previous administration might be described by another German phrase that you write about in your book, Sturm und Drang. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I think we're all exhausted with. <laughs> that means turmoil or un- storm and, and drama. Is that what it means? Literally, yes. It's uh, it's one of those words. It started out as a, a romantic phrase. It was um, in the name of a play, a German play, I think back in the uh, later 1700s. And it became a term for a specific movement in German literature, which was like mm-hmm. like Britain's angry young men. But it was the German precursor of it. And it was, yeah, it was just very heavy on passion and and, and angst and drama. And uh, I think that's how I used to feel watching the COVID uh, <laughs> press conferences early on, as I recall. <laughs> well, Jennifer Psaki, the uh, Biden White House press secretary, said, quote, the president has been clear to all of us. Words matter, tone matters, and civility matters. And uh, she and she works for Biden, not for Cuomo, obviously. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> nice well, one there, Leonard. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascinating, though. Again, going, even with the Cuomo thing, I mean, you see the impact of words, and I think more than ever in recent years, we're really focusing on. Um, not just what is said, but the way in which it's said. And I think words are getting much more center stage these days. They're kind of weaponized at this point. They are. In a way that, in a way they wouldn't have been 20 or 30 years ago, I think. 
Last month, the deputy press secretary was forced to resign after using disrespectful language to a female reporter. So we're seeing a total change in, in the climate in the White House. Uh, and then yeah, again, it's, of course, it's different. And then again, there is the matter of climate. Uh, there are a number of words or phrases that the Trump administration refused to use, like climate change. Mm -hmm. Did they think that if we didn't use the term, it would lose importance? I think so, in a certain way. I think that if you don't apply a a widely used term that becomes part of like the, the normal vernacular, people tend to ignore it. What they would do, though, a lot was come up with a different phrase. It wasn't really like Orwellian a newspeak as much as it was. Well, I guess it kind of was, wasn't it? It was we, sort of a war, yeah, is, war is peace. Yes, it's yeah. definitely well. Yeah. 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 What did they say instead of climate change? I forget, but everything was like, yeah, became either twisted or ignored. Mm -hmm. It was a very strange time for words. Mm -hmm. And now the EPA has begun using the hashtag climate crisis. So they're really signaling a totally different attitude. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a sea change. But in general, I think we're going to see more inclusive language, uh, a better sort of more uh, ecologically attuned language and less thing, and fewer uh, attributions like the China virus. I think that's going to be over. I think mm. we're going to call it covid or coronavirus without the, you know, uh, possible origin of the virus in that sense. I think, no, I think loaded loaded words are, are on the are yeah. heavens going down, you know. We'll get so, to a few more, but uh, interestingly, the uh, the Biden White House has also restored a Spanish language version of its website, which was taken yes. down by Trump. And sign language is now used again. Sign language is often is often shown when they're doing a speech. That that was not done with the Trump administration, to the best of my knowledge, too. I've always wondered about sign language because uh, sometimes I I cannot figure out why what that person is uh, signaling with hands and face and whatever uh, in any way represents what I've just heard. I, it is a totally different language, obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. I mean, because that always because when I was a kid, I remember being fascinated by sign language. And that was when you remember you would learn. I think I did it in Girl Scouts. You learn the alphabet. Yeah, and we did that in Boy it, Scouts, too. Yeah, it's yeah. now it's the different signs. And I have the same thing, Leonard. I, I, it, it's, it's, it's as if I'm watching like French or somebody's talking French <laughs> in the corner, you know, for me. It's like I have no idea what they're saying, but obviously it works. So. And it's an important addition if they didn't have it before, certainly. We uh, are invite listener calls uh, and uh, listeners uh, don't have to just talk about the things that we're discussing. They, they can call in any questions on, on word usage or pronunciation that they may have. Uh, and uh, our number here is 212-209-2877. That's 212-209-2877. Or you can uh, email me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. Um, so uh, terms like we're starting to see other terms as well, terms like pro-choice, pro-life, uh, other examples of how politics affects language uh, rather than anti-abortion or pro-abortion rights. 
It's true. Again, you go back to it felt like when Ross had the assimilation uh, versus uh, integration, how how a simple choice of words can can signal something overtly. I mean, you're saying, oh, this is just a word. This just means exactly that. But there's a distinct loaded nature or or a judgment implied in a lot of terms now. It's interesting because I saw just recently on a uh, financial website that tends to lean right. They had an ad, I mean, a, a headline, and it said, uh, anti-First, Second Amendment activists gather to take away, to, t- to limit gun rights. Mm. Now, that's like, you could also say anti-violent, uh, you know, uh, pro-peace activists act to, um, you know, cut back on, on uh, automatic weapons you could take it you could frame it either way the first way i saw it is instantly two negatives immediately you get a slight negative person even if you are for gun control it's sort of interesting how you can frame things that way and you could confuse things by calling it pro-life yes Uh, (laughs) that's exactly (laughs) that always fascinates me total aside i'm gonna go on a tangent but have you both noticed that nowadays we never used to say we used to talk i'm thinking covid right now with the vaccinations we used to always talk about shots or inoculations Mm -hmm. right suddenly we've picked up the british word jabs did you notice that everybody's talking about jabs now (laughs) i'm talking about jabs (laughs) yeah i know (laughs) when did this happen i mean why it just fascinates me it also I guess because I'm saying it now, but I don't remember when it came into my vernacular. I don't remember first. I would never have used it last year. I suddenly started saying it. And I have no idea when I started. It's just there. Well, maybe it makes it sound less uh, scary. But uh, the, the, all of these words that we're talking about, we're, aren't we talking about the same process being used to different ends? Yeah, I, th- I think absolutely. I think yeah. that, again, we're using words to to prom- to, to sort of sell or, or mm. in a way, our point of view. It's like some of them are positive, some of them are negative. And and the choice, I think, is um, gives gives a different meaning in a funny way, even if it means the exact same thing. It, it has a different weight. I think My, get, with, Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I think you're right with jab, though. Because I was thinking vaccination sounds so clinical. Mm. The jab sounds casual. Great. Now I'm fine. I like yeah. I, I think that's probably a little jab. Well, I've had it and uh, it barely was a, a, even a, a pinprick. So uh, a lot of people ask the people who haven't had it. Uh, was it a problem? It's not a problem, I guess, unless you have other issues. But anyway, let me tell everybody that my guests are Catherine and Ross Petrus. Uh, they are regular contributors to our show. We talk about the language, and we invite your calls at 212-209-2877, or you can uh, email me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. And let's take some calls, okay? Absolutely. Oh, oh sure. first of all, I should tell people that they're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York, <laughs> 99.5 FM. The uh, FCC insists that we say those things on a regular basis. Okay, BAI, you're on the air. Good uh, afternoon. Oh, here, American Sign Language. You just reminded me, sign language. I happen to know a little, but just a little, because they do say ASL, American Sign Language, mm. which means I know that grammatically it is not like they don't interpret word for word like a sentence. It's more, it's very idiomatic. I mean, in other words, it's not just here's sign language for English. It's different in America than in England. It, mm-hmm. it, 
you did something worth researching because it is ASL and it's like so you could go to England and they may not understand you because the mm. idiomatic gestures they're like uh, anyway something that worth worth looking at uh, no, no surprise I lived in England for a year I went to art school when I was 20 years old and they didn't understand me half the time either because I was speaking American <laughs> English <laughs> I had to learn to stop saying the news <laughs> I remember I remember you told the joke that you're in art class and the woman asked you if you have a rubber. Yeah. 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 Okay. Here's what I'm going to ask. That wasn't a joke. That was a reality. <laughs> yeah. And I, here's something I just learned the other day, um, that the the expression, the devil's in the details, mm. it, it actually has a corollary, the opposite. It's like it was the God is in the details meaning pay attention to the little things, which I love because it's like, I, I love Keith Jarrett. It's like, like, it's like, no, it's that little, look at that subtle thing he does there. It, God is in the details, that little, or, or you could mm-hmm. say a chef. Oh, and, but that it took on the opposite. I think it's fascinating that it, it also has the expression, the devil's in the details for the, the negative aspect of that. Do you know anything about that idiom and how it, took on God is in the details and devil's in the details? I don't know offhand, but I'm fascinated by the fact um, of, 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 I love the notion of this, the change, which, I mean, we see that happen with other, with words alone. Like they go through either pejoration when a word turns from a, a positive meaning to a negative and the opposite amelioration when a word turns from the, from a, a negative to a positive, but that specific phrase, I don't know about. Do you? But, but I would think that the devil in the detail is beware of what you're listening to. It may sound okay, but when you right. check it out carefully, you're going to find out that there may be some serious problems. Right. It's like a, the Americans with Disabilities Act sounds good to me. Now let's talk about the details. Oh, man, mm-hmm. that's expensive. What? It could do more harm <laughs> than good, you know? And but I like the idea of that that, that that there was an originally God is in the details means like appreciate the subtleties. It's like 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 if you went to the uh, the Michelangelo exhibition in the, in the Metropolitan Museum. It's like it's like yeah, we know it's a face, but it's like these even even contemporary artists of the time, you know. But it's like but there's something about it. What is it? it what did he do? Mm. It's, he put the God in the detail. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's interesting, well, though, because Go it's ahead. interesting, though, no one really knows where it came from, though. I was just looking it up briefly, and there are some attributions to uh, Ludwig uh, Mies van der Rohe, a German architect, but that's hmm. not necessarily. The, and then the other people are saying, are uh, attributing it to uh, Flaubert. As, and they have it in French, which mm-hmm. is interesting because in both cases, it's a very recent expression, yeah. God is in the detail, and then it switched to the devil, as we were talking about. Yeah, I would have it as a much older saying. I would have thought it's from medieval times or something. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not sure, but the one problem always with language is it's really hard to trace the original origin of something. I mean, this is what this these people are saying. Sure. We have no idea. Let's take another call, okay? Thank you so much for your call. BAI, you're on the air. 
Oh, I, Leonard and guests, I'm talking about England. I'm actually from there, from London. I, I wouldn't have known from your accent. <laughs> yes. I was I thinking feel, Brooklyn. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Thank you. Well, I'll take that as a compliment in both directions, and I'm <laughs> happy to still have my accent after 20-something years. But if I could be very quick and tell you about five words. The first word is normality, and I don't hear that on this side of the pond. I only hear normalcy. Yes. And the opposite, of course, is abnormality. I don't hear abnormalcy, so that's <laughs> one. If you'd please comment on, after I've just finished the five words, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, the second one is the A sound. I always said, growing up in England, Milan for the, country, for the city in Italy, and I hear Milan because the A sound is pronounced not ah, but ah, majority of the times. And then the third one is trauma. I don't hear that at all. I hear trauma, like T-R-A-H-M-A, but, the, but, the, but it's traumatic. It's not traumatic. And the fourth one is N-E-W-S, the news. Uh, I only hear, and I shall not mention the name of the... TV station, but they do pronounce news as news. Otherwise, I hear N-O-O-Z, oh. or as we said in England, Z-E, news. Mm -hmm. and, the far, and the last one is the last letter of the alphabet. I think this is the only country that says Z, and the rest yes. of the world, including our northern neighbors, say Z. Just curious about those five. Could I throw, could I throw one more out to you, actually? How Please. do you how do you pronounce P A S T A? Easter. No, pasta or pasta. Pasta or pasta. Oh, pasta. Hmm. And we say pasta. Okay. Yeah, it's because of the A sound, as I mentioned in the word mm. Milan. Exactly. Yeah. It's the, same. it's the R rather than A. Yeah. Yes, uh, and. What about my other examples of normality, et cetera? Okay, well, normal, normalcy is thought to be American. There, yeah. a, a president of ours, uh, Warren Harding, gets credit for using it. He probably more popularized it because it was a very rare word until he came into the presidency. And he had, apparently had a penchant for chucking it around everywhere. And since then, it's, I would say, infected American English. <laughs> I prefer normality. But then you wouldn't say abnormalcy, would you? No. no. And that's, again, the, the, the interesting uh, sort of thing of how languages evolve. There's no real logic necessarily to language whatsoever. I don't think yes, normalcy indeed. is a particularly nice word, so I don't like it. But... <laughs> and uh, trauma? Tra as opposed to trauma? Well, I don't know. What's wrong with trauma? I always, I mean, I've got to admit, as an American, I say trauma. I say it like New York, to trauma. <laughs> I mean, I do it with the A-W sound. Mm -hmm. I mean, I oh. think that a lot of it, the um, the change in in, in, in pronunciation, we're, there was something, I'm trying to think, Ross, we both had seen that. Remember, we were talking about the different pronunciation within even the regions, because you still have, oddly mm. enough, a lot of what is perceived of as, 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 a, as an American regional accent is more British, <laughs> in many cases, more of a British pronunciation than an American, what we consider a regular American pronunciation. Well, for example, we say there is Nevada and Nevada, there's Florida and Florida, and we can go on and on and on. And uh, it tells you where uh, a person lives uh, simply because of the way they pronounce a state that is, uh, you know, one of the 50. 
But getting back to trauma, I was thinking not so much as the New York AW, but as the AU, as in uh, trauma and traumatic, because I don't hear over here, correct me if I'm wrong, traumatic. No, you I don't. Say, You're no. absolutely right. I say traumatic. So uh, and then news, N-E-W-S, pronouncing the E-W instead yes. of the O-O. People made fun of me news. when I said news, so I started saying news, and I started news. saying the dew is in the on the rose uh, instead <laughs> of the dew is on the rose. Uh, but there the are uh, that, the news one fascinates me because I actually I've got to admit I I obviously say news I, I, I do the American thing and I don't think in my ear I even think to hear I can't do it the other way. Leonard mentioned yeah. D-O and D-U-E. That's one thing that's always gets on, uh, on D -E -W. my D-E-W. Yeah, D-E-W. D-E-W, the Jew yeah. on the, fl on, <laughs> on the, the ground. And, yeah. and I, I, I went and, uh, no, I, I do something. But they yes. both sound the same. Yeah. Just, curi just curiously, how would you pronounce uh, T-U-B-E? Uh, is that P as in Peter? No, T U B. T is in. You're right. We say like tube. The, uh, the underground, the subway. Yes. Yes. We uh, say the, the tube. tube. Yes. And, tube. And you say yes. Yeah. Isn't it? And if someone didn't have any clothes on in the tube, what would they be? <laughs> They'd be nude. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting a little salacious here. On the, on the other hand, we don't pronounce F E W foo. So go to, oh. go explain these things. And, and the last letter of the alphabet, of course, Z, is, is yeah. an anomaly. Only in this country would you say Z, but the rest of the world is. When you learn English, it would be Z, right? Well, that yes. fascinates me because Ross is a, is a Canadian now. Ross moved to Toronto and has been there for quite a long time. And when he first started saying A to Z to me, I was taken yes. back. But, I mean, it's, <laughs> he says, that's all they say there. So, of course, now he says Z. I still say but, Z. But, but, you know, so many letters are have E's and B, C, we don't say said and bed. So, you know. <laughs> That's interesting. Never thought of it that way. In fact, Z is the only one that ends with an ed. Yes, well. That's that why comes was, from that's the, why you know why that, you know why that is? That comes from the French. No, the Z comes from, uh, in Greek, uh, and Kath and I are both <clears throat> Greek in background. It comes from the Greek uh, Zeta, which then uh, came through the French. Z. Well, that's what I was going to uh, say because yeah. we don't say bed, and it, and the B came from Beta. So. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay, well, I, I'm going to take another call. Thank you so much. That was a great call. Uh, BAI, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, you're on the air. Hello, Leonard. Uh, and uh, I want to say hello to you, guest Eric. Uh, how how does one uh, pronounce the word um, nihilism or nihilism? What what's the correct pronunciation for that? That's a good question because we just addressed that in um, one of our, our recent podcasts. We talked about it, and I I say nihilism, mm -hmm. and Me too. Ross says nihilism, and we're both right. Like, <laughs> yeah, like which makes life like, a lot simpler. I always thought that nihilism was kind of Egyptian, so I that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so so. <laughs> I'm in denial. What would it be? The nihilism. It could be either one. But nihilism is the prefer usually the first pronunciation. 
Really? Like nihilism. Okay. Nihilism. Like, like yeah. annihilate. I like um, annihilate. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, second, second, I'm curious to know, like, um, sometimes when you watch TV and there's this general and he's, uh, he's uh, involved in the war in Iraq or somewhere in the Middle East, and he says, uh, you know, like, it's, it's existential. Now, like, you know, like, I'm looking at this general in a uniform, and I'm, I'm saying, well, you know, what, is, what does this uh, guy know about existentialism? So, <laughs> so uh, is, is he, is he, um, is, is he, um, is he incorrect in his? Uh, oh, why are they using that word? They they're using that word a lot uh, on TV. Uh, you know, uh, all the time pertaining to something like crime. You know, like because like this, they're, they're thinking. You know, like it means uh, it it um, it involves your body. Like it, you know, um, like you know, like you're gonna die if if uh, you don't you don't uh, you don't kill a criminal or you don't kill uh, an 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 an, an uh, Iraqi. Uh, guy so I mean but like really um, um, existentialism pre- pertains to um, existential choice which is like um, like you know since there is no God you have to make your choices yeah that's according it's, it's to the philosophy so what, what would it be okay, so what do you think but in its in his in his use of the word well, at its most basic, existentialism simply means exactly what it sounds like. It means other pertaining to existence. Existentialism as a philosophy is, an, is, is taking that word and applying it to a philosophical school of thought. So technically, the guy, the soldier, the general that's standing there in his khakis or whatever, saying something that's existential is, is probably correct. And he's not probably speaking in the philosophical sense. He's saying... It's an existential threat. We could die. Our existence could cease. Oh, okay. All right. So, so how do you pronounce the philosophers? Sartre or Sartre? Sartre. Sartre. John Paul Sartre. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, I would say Sartre. Yes. Okay. Anyway. Um, well, anyway uh, number three. This is my, my final question. Um, uh, I read. I was reading a, a Vanity Fair magazine, and uh, they were saying. Like some some person um, some person is is prejudiced uh, against um, against people who are, who are whose appearance uh, you know it's, it's not uh, uh, whose appearance is unattractive. So so I I forgot what that word uh, you know what that word was. So uh, I asked a librarian. The librarian said lookism, but maybe that's not it. I think I don't think that's lookism? it. Lookism. So I haven't. I can't find that um, that magazine. But uh, do you know what what the word? If there's a word for people who are um, who are who, who are prejudiced or don't like um, people who are unattractive. Uh, she, the librarian's right. Lookism is a fairly new word, and it and it describes um, when people are discriminated. People who discriminate against others who they consider unattractive. It, it, it's it's one of those uh, neologisms that that has come about when we add an ism to something, and and lookism is definitely a term now. Oh, so I can use that. I can use that. Okay. Yeah, you, but, can. But you don't and know what the other, what the other what the what the, what the, what the it's like a, a fancy term uh, from the magazine. So you don't know what that that word is. Well, we'll take a little break and think about it, okay? Because I got to take okay. a break All now. Right. Okay. Thank I'll, you for your I'll, call. I'll, I'll, and thanks. 
And we invite more calls. Our number is 212-209-2877. Or you can write to me at leonardlopate at wbai.org. This is WBAI 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I say either, you say neither, and I say neither, either, either, and either, neither, let's call the whole thing off. Yes, you like potato, and I like potato, you like tomato, I like tomato, potato, potato, tomato, tomato, let's call the whole thing off. And we're back with Catherine and Ross Petrus. Uh, they've written a number of books uh, on language, Awkward Moments, uh, a lively guide to the 100 terms smart people should know. Awkward spelt with a W-O-R-D instead of W-A-R-D. And then uh, they also have the written, That Doesn't Mean What You Think It Means, and You're Saying It Wrong, all published by 10 Speed Press. They have a podcast called you're saying it wrong. And uh, I've always loved that song. Uh, and I was reminded of our British caller when mm-hmm. he said tomato, tomato. But I've never heard anybody say potato. Have you? No. Oh. And you know, in the song, they also say banana, banana. And I don't think I've ever heard banana. I've never heard either. banana either. Although yeah, we had well. a friend who used to sing that song and he would sing it as I say tomato and you say tomato. And people would sort of people would stop and look at him and correct him. It was great. Well, potato definitely. I don't. I don't. I, I've never heard anybody say potato. Uh, now, uh, getting back to the the theme. Well, first of all, again, uh, an invitation. If you want to give us a call and join the conversation, the number two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven, or you can write to me. Send me an email uh, at leonardlopate at wbai.org. Um, a lot of other phrases are have been changing recently. Were to describe the indigenous peoples of this country uh, have become really politically charged. I re- read recently that the term tribal with a capital T is now preferred over Native American. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's so much. I mean, uh well, then we go back to like the change with pronouns. I mean, we've just really been seeing a, quite a change, I think, with a, like the in, in, introduction of the um, you know singular they, um, capitalization mm-hmm. of black. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's 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 a there's a big change happening. This is I'm gonna. Well, that's all the gender equality thing. Uh, we have uh, many of us have received emails in which the sender's name is followed by the words he slash him slash his mm-hmm. or she slash mm-hmm. her slash hers or even they slash their slash theirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's become very important to many people. Well, again, I think we go back to the power that words have. I mean, we use words every day. We use them without thinking, but they're incredibly powerful. And I think like the whole notion with the pronoun in particular is 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 becoming it's it's again an inclusion. And I think an acceptance, a a sign of acceptance and a sign of the the attempt, at least to um, broaden, I think, our um, overtly broaden our acceptances. And, and make things normal. Again, we go back to codification, which um, I think is a key. So people, yeah, I, I, mean, I guess we, people don't want to be pigeonholed. 
Yeah. But it gets confusing to me. Okay, go ahead. We're in a flux, though, too. I think what happens when language doesn't seem to change in a a gradual way in many cases, there's there's suddenly like a a tidal wave of change. Mm. And I think right now we're getting slapped by the wave and we're trying to figure out what's what. Kathy and I wrote a book uh, a couple of years ago on um, the sort of a popular history book that's now in in editing. And we noticed that the past year and a half, some references we made had to be somewhat altered because this word is, is out or this word is the preferred usage, like you were talking about Native American with indigenous. Canada was easier where they call them First Nations, which I think is a really mm. good phrase. Mm. Yeah. First Nations here. And I think that I like how that sounds. Why do you think we haven't picked that up? Because no one ever listens to Canadian sound. Of the <laughs> because they say a boat. <laughs> One thing Ross and I were talking about, um, this is completely off topic, but later we were saying how we realized we're a bit pedantic. We've been going insane the last two days when people were talking about daylight savings time. <laughs> Instead of daylight saving time. Yeah. Yes. Very good, Leonard. Yes. <laughs> we love you. Yeah. <laughs> savings. Yes. Uh, savings are what we keep in the bank. Correct. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, before we get to some more calls and we have some people hanging on, I do, do want to point out that the Washington Redskins and the Cleveland Indians are changing their names uh, again because of uh, uh, changing attitudes. Uh, interestingly, uh, President Biden, uh, when he says uh, he's going to uh, consult people he says the american people the ter- or the the territories and the tribes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a big I, change I, you can't imagine donald trump saying any of that but um no. <laughs> <laughs> what about the word yankees is that still a positive word i'm That's a mets fan so i don't care I never thought of that, though. Hmm. I'm still fascinated with the Washington, uh, with the Redskins now being the Washington football team. And I'm wondering if they're going <laughs> that. It's their yeah, name. Yeah, they can't come up with a name because so many of the good names are taken. You're they could right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they can't be the Washington bureaucrats. <laughs> or the Washington feds. You're right. <laughs> okay, let's... Should, another German word you discuss in your book is realpolitik. Am I pronouncing that correctly? <laughs> I, that's how I pronounce it. Okay. Yes. Uh, is, uh, is it kind of politics based on practical concerns rather than idealism? Yeah, that's exactly it. So Although it describes book- the, the, the decisions by politicians who vote with concern because they're more concerned about getting reelected than what they might be best for the country. That would be realpolitik. Although theoretically, yeah. we talk about it in the book. And the problem with it, as soon as you get into these philosophical ones, you get stuck in the mud. Because one of the people who, the, one of the, the coiners of realpolitik was actually sort of an idealistic fellow. And he thought that true realpolitik should involve uh, p- practically taking in ideals, which is just, it gets really complicated. The key mm-hmm. thing now is it tends to be people who basically consider what's going on right now without worrying about ideology or uh, ethical concerns. Uh, with certain politicians, uh, I'm not going to mention it. They get accused of that a lot. Uh, Kissinger every- was one of the, was Kissinger was famous for being mm-hmm. supposedly a real politicker. Yeah, well, there is a, a mansion in the sky. Um, anyway, 
Should we take some more calls? I'm sure. sorry. That was a really bad pun, wasn't it? Yes, I know. I just, <laughs> I just caught it. No. There was a dead silence. <laughs> WBAI, you're on the air. Hello, is that me? You. Hi. Uh, the, the two words that I wanted to, to ask about are free and freedom. Mm. Free, of course, means uh, unchained, unbonded, uh, uncharged for so forth and so on, and the, the usage would be you're free to say anything you'd like, you're free to print, print anything you'd like, but then freedom, the suffix D-O-M, as in with kingdom or earldom, refers to a structure of society. So in reality, when the libertarians are saying, we demand the freedom to carry guns and the freedom to speak, they're saying they want to be free to do those things. The freedom to carry a gun is specifically to have a militia to defend your country. When was the last time we had a militia to defend our country? What was uh, that? About uh, 1772. <laughs> Maybe 1812? <laughs> oh, there were muskets rather than yeah. assault yeah. weapons. 1812? Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, anyway, we're still... It does say we're not allowed to have a standing army, so... <laughs> Under those grounds, I guess we'd have to have militia. But, you know, just the freedom to to speak is more consistent with the idea that everyone in the United States should be able to use the post office, exchange their ideas, and come to an e pluribus unum than it is the right of just me to stand on a street corner saying anything I want. Yeah. Well, actually, the the First Amendment only applies to Congress preventing us from saying things. Congress should... Enact no laws. So, but you know that that concept. We now normally use the word freedom as an individual thing when when the actual suffix of dom means societal. Well, I'm, Actually, I'm thinking about Bobby McGee. Freedom is just another word for nothing word for left nothing. to lose. Could I just chuck in one thing though? The dom actually can also. Uh, it comes from from the uh, old English. It can also mean denoting a state or condition, or mm. denoting rank, like an earldom, uh, kingdom. Um, but the dom can also just mean a state. So the dom in this case well, could except, mean a state of being sub- free. They, they can't be separated. The, the 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 being of an earl means you also had entitled lands, and you were the in charge of it, and you had the structure of all of the lower ranks of aristocracy oh, yeah. and you had its obligations to the king so you couldn't really separate out the individual role from but we role. can't expect consistency otherwise we wouldn't have the word condom let's uh <laughs> let's move on to another call <laughs> the state of being calm con yes, yes. <laughs> uh, bai you're on the air Hi, hi, hi. I love the discussions of language, and I didn't get much of it today, and I've caught you guys in the past. But I know that sometimes when I would travel places, people would detect where I came from. And I always was, in a way, critical of other people's grammar, and I see that that's very classist, and I always wanted to know the origins, the etymology in the correct way, and I'd listen carefully to newscasters. But then I realized we we don't speak the King's English, and it changed. I grew up saying the word that heats the house, that actually radiates the house. I grew up saying radiator, 
and never saw anything wrong with it, never was uh, corrected. And so my daughter was in high school, and one of her snobby friends said, why do you say radiate? It radiates heat. And made me... We don't say nuclear radiation. Right. (laughs) So I felt very silly, but then I really feel dejected by that because that was my way... And it was my neighbor. I put it out on a Facebook group that of people from the neighborhood. And, of course, only like two out of ten said it my way. But it's something I grew up with in a way I don't want to part with. It doesn't make sense. And she said, oh, the state O-R-E-G-O-N is not Oregon, as I was. It's Mm. Oregon, because you have Mm. to pronounce it the way the people who live there pronounce it. So I think that language is fluid, and I don't think we should be quick to uh, to down someone. But mm-hmm. I did feel silly saying the radiator is the radiator, but my whole family, everyone I knew said it. So It's, inter- it's interesting you're talking about this, though, because there was a big uh, kerfuffle about that a while back. And uh, our, gra- our father word. was from Astoria, Queens. Uh-huh. And in Astoria, the standard pronunciation was, as you said it, radiate. Oh, great. And then outside of New York, it seems to be more common to say radiator. Right. However, then a bunch of... Yeah, yes, Kathy is right. I know that one. <laughs> yeah. Radiator is really common in Pennsylvania. As well. So it's you're not alone. Radiator? Y- yeah. If you're in Philadelphia, they'll talk about a radiator. Radiator is oh, in good, Philadelphia good, and Queens. Good. You've got a, a lot of company. Oh. Anyway, uh, you're listening to us on the radio. Uh, this <laughs> is Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. Uh, we are talking about language with Catherine and Ross Petrus, who are the authors of a number of books on language, Awkward, uh, moments, a lively guide to the 100 terms smart people should know. Uh, that doesn't mean what you think it means, and you're saying it wrong, all published by 10 Speed Press, and they have a podcast also called You're Saying It Wrong. And before we get to another call, uh, a, li- a listener wrote this one in. Do you happen to know the origins of the word pet? Did the verb pet, as in to pet, come from this word? Or is it the other way around? That's a great question, because that's one of those ones where you do go a little crazy, you know, when there's both a noun and a verb. Um, okay. It's actually, I think it came from, when I think about it, I think it came from, um, it's originally peta, I think is uh, Gaelic or something. Mm-hmm. And then that was very early. Then the, the noun was there first. Then it's chicken or the egg. In this case, the uh, animal was there first, and then the verb meaning to stroke something, they think came from the 1600s, I believe. Mm-hmm. So that's much later. So the first thing was the, the noun, the animal. The second uh, thing was doing it to it. And I think it was Scott. I thought it was Scottish Gaelic. I'm not Scottish sure. Scottish Gaelic, yeah. The yeah. It's Pieta or something. Pieta, I can't pronounce it. And then Irish Peta, which meant a tame oh. animal. And then from there, from the 1600s, you actually petted your animals, and then it became that. And now we have PETA. Uh, the last <laughs> word in your book, Zeitgeist, the spirit of the time, um, uh, I was thinking about it as it applies to the spirit of the, the past years and the present. It depends on whether you support 
uh, an administration's policies. For example, the Biden administration's policies can either be hopeful and helpful or socialist and radical, depending mm-hmm. on uh, on the spirit of the time. Yeah, that's one of the ones that, that that is not at all actually a loaded word. I think people tend to think of zeitgeist as sort of more positive just because often when you're using it, you're referring to like that wonderful spirit. But yeah, zeitgeist is completely non-judgmental. It's just what's going on. So, Let's take, yeah, go ahead. No, so so it's like, yeah, it could go either way. That's all. I have nothing else to say. Should we take another call? BAI, you're on the air. Hello, are you speaking yes, to me? Hi. Yes, you. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure. Um, I want to go back uh, and combine two things that you were talking about. You were talking about radiator versus radiator and uh, do versus do and so forth. It seems to me that English, as spoken in America, uh, is uh, such a contextual language that it really, the actual pronunciation uh, by any single person doesn't really mean a lot because you have to have it in context. Because I grew up in Texas, and my grandmother... You escaped, right? What? (laughs) You escaped? (laughs) <laughs> no, I didn't escape. Tell, tell that to a Texan. <laughs> I think, you know, everything is uh, is perfectly fine, depending on where you are and what you like. And uh, I was just as proud to be a Texan as I am proud to, to live in New Jersey. Uh-huh. But my, my grandmother used to do the wash, you know, the mm-hmm. W-O-R-S-H, when she did the clothes. And when I moved north as a kid and used that word or used the y'all or things like that, it was like, oh, you know, you don't know how to say these things. And it's all right. And it just, we have so large a country with so many different pronunciations mm-hmm. given the, the accent that it, to, to say wash. In Texas, for when I when I was a kid, it would have been what? What is? Oh, you mean the wash, George? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and well, look, if you had said if you had said Yosemite to the, the previous president, he would have said <laughs> what? Do you mean Yosemite? <laughs> Yosemite. <laughs> but it, it just seems oh, to me it just seems to me that that we are such a a contextual language that. Mm-hmm. You can you can really say whatever you mean, and and for people from other countries who yeah, come but, here but, and don't, don't speak English, they they get thrown into a, you know what are you talking about? Because but don't we also judge people based on their their accents? For example, uh, I always giggle when I see the uh, the senator from Mississippi. I think John Kennedy, uh, his accent is so thick. It makes mm-hmm. him sound to, to some a northerner like me with a lot of prejudices. It makes him sound stupid. He, he's he. I'm, I don't know whether he's stupid or not. Uh, but the point is that accent, to some degree, also is a way that we identify people. I think yes, you're absolutely right. For and better I, or for I, worse. I mean, there, yes. there are problems with that, obviously. I remember when I was in the Foreign Service, there was a really, I mean, one of the most intelligent per- persons I've ever met, he had a very broad Southern accent, and he was trying to get rid of it for, uh, uh-huh. he was concerned about it. He felt people were judging him. 
Yes. Yeah. Unjustly. Because, yeah. A lot of Listen. a lot of people do feel that you're you're stupid if you have a southern accent, and mm. it's, it's really not true. No. Well, in My some cases, from Georgia, it isn't. she had a southern accent. So I would definitely agree. She was a smart lady. I agree with you. We got to leave it there, unfortunately. It's always so much fun having the two of you on our show, Catherine Petrus and Ross Petrus, uh, authors of a number of books on language. And I look forward to your the next visit to our show. And so uh, do we. Uh, because <laughs> <more> both... puns. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should write a pun book, Leonard. I really <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know it's it's terrible that my mind works that way. (laughs) Thank you again, and we'll see you soon. Okay, that brings it, and that brings us to the end of uh, our show. Special thanks to segment producer Barbara Kahn for preparing today's questions. If you're new to our program and would like to hear more, you can access all of our past shows streaming on demand at wbai.org. We're also available as a podcast in iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else that podcasts are available. And there are links to all of our past shows on our website, LeonardLocatedLarge.com. If you want to comment on any of our shows or just want to say hello, my email address is leonardlopate at wbai.org. Before I sign off today, I'd like to take just a minute to ask you to support WBAI. We're hoping that all of our listeners who have the finances to do so will step up and make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by going to give2wbai.org or by calling 516-620-3602 right now to keep the unique in-depth content that we bring you on the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. And we need your help to keep this historic station the only one in the New York radio dial that's 100% listener-sponsored on the air. All you have to do is call 516-620-3602 or go to give2wbai.org to keep Leonard Lopate at Large coming to you on WBAI weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. From all of us at the station to everyone who has contributed so far, thanks, and I I hope you'll join them. And we hope that you'll join us again tomorrow when Drs. Michael Ocon and Ray Dorsey will discuss their new book, Ending Parkinson's Disease, A Prescription for Action. We'll see you then.